Good morning. This morning we're going to be wrapping up the book of Ephesians, starting in chapter 10, verse, chapter 6, verse 10. There is no 10, sorry. <laughs> Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak, so that you also may know how I am doing and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all you who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. All right, let's, let's pray together this morning. Father, we thank you that you are good uh, and that you love us, that you are uh, almighty and in control. And so we pray that today, that as we, as we look at your word, first, we're, we're thankful that you haven't left us alone, but that you've given us your word so that we might know more about who you are, uh, about uh, what you've done for us in sending your son, um, and that we might know more about who we are because of what Jesus has done and, and who we should be because of that. Uh, we pray that you would uh, just enable your spirit within us. To, to challenge us and encourage us and convict us from your word. We pray that as we, as we finish out Paul's letter to the Ephesians, that, that it would have its intended effect in us this morning. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice on our behalf. It's, it's only because of you that we have access to your Father. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so... Ephesians 6, 10 through 24, we're, we're finishing out the book of Ephesians. Uh, next week, just to kind of give you a little preview of, of where we're headed, next week Dan Ware is going to kick off a four-week series on the, go or I almost said the Gospel of Ruth, the Book of Ruth. Uh, and then when that's done, we're going to start a series on the Book of Romans, and we'll probably be there for a long, long time. Um, but today, there's, there's still a whole lot for us to see in this last section of Ephesians. And, and to be honest, uh, this is one of the passage that, passages that I've been looking forward to the most that we've been, as, as we've been kind of like trudging along through Ephesians, um, and that's for, for two reasons. The first reason is because uh, it's a passage that I don't know that we've ever really talked about at BC, maybe like kind of peripherally, but like we've never really focused 
on it before. And second, because this passage is a passage that I think we normally think about and we normally consider kind of like outside of its context, just on its own, outside the book of Ephesians. We, we talk about the armor of God and what it is, but without thinking about how that fits in what Paul is doing in Ephesians. Out on its own, it's kind of a, a cool passage that talks about like warfare and armor and, and spiritual battles. And depending on what we do with it, it either makes us more or less dependent upon God. But, but in its context, this passage pulls together quite a bit of what Paul's already said to us in Ephesians and kind of drives those points home. And so first, I want us to just, just kind of briefly think about what we've seen in the book of Ephesians. So first, in, in chapters one and two, Paul spent a whole lot of time uh, using several run-on sentences to tell us about what God has done for us in Jesus, right? In Christ, uh, he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He, he chose us, he predestined us, he adopted us, he forgave us, he redeemed us, he, he lavished his grace upon us, he's given us inheritance, he's sealed us with the Holy Spirit. Uh, and then he talked in chapter two about, about who we were. We were. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but even when we were dead, he, he made us alive in Christ. He saved us by grace through faith, and then he prepared good works for us to walk in. And in chapter two, he also told us that we didn't, he didn't just restore our relationship with God. He, he did that, but he also restored our relationship with people. He, he made peace with God for us, and then he made peace for us with other people, creating a kind of new family of God, a new people of God. And then in chapter three, Paul talked about his ministry. But really, when he was talking about his ministry, he was just telling us more things about what God has done for us in Jesus. And then we got to chapter four. Uh, where Paul began to speak about because of what Jesus has done for us, we should live differently. We should walk, he said, in a manner worthy of our calling. Uh, we shouldn't live like the Gentiles anymore because we're not like the Gentiles anymore. We've been changed. The, the, the old self has been put off. The new self has been put on. Like we are different. And because that change has taken place, we should walk in a manner worthy of the calling. And he gave us a bunch of specific commands on how we should do that. And then at the end of chapter 5 and the beginning of chapter 6, he talked about those kind of core relationships that people have and how the gospel should be transforming and shaping those relationships, who we are and, and how we behave in our home. Now, at the end of Ephesians, Paul is going to talk about this, this, the reality of this spiritual battle that's kind of raging around us as we seek to live the life that God calls us to do kind of week in, week out. And he's going to tell us what we should be doing in the midst of this battle. Another way to look at this kind of journey through Ephesians is, is three words. Sit, walk, and stand. There's this book uh, by this guy named Watchman Nee who uh, you know, I, I'm not endorsing all of his theology or all of his books or anything. I'm just saying this one book, these three words, is helpful. Uh, it's sit, walk, stand. In Ephesians 2, believers are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. In Ephesians 4, we walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Then in Ephesians 6, the passage that Eric had just read for us, we stand against the schemes of the devil. And the reason why I'm bringing this up now is because this is going to play, play in later. It's going to help us uh, understand this passage and how it applies to us because we need to get it within the whole scope of Ephesians. And so let's go into verse 10. So Paul says, Finally, he's kind of wrapping up the letter at this point. 
He says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So this is command number one, be strong in the Lord. And and right off the bat, we need to get something straight here. Because I think that it would be very easy for us to walk away from this passage uh, or hear this passage taught and think that like now, because Paul's saying, you know, you need to put on the armor of God, you need to stand against the schemes of the devil, it would be really easy for us to walk away and think, okay, now we need to muster up all this strength so that we can fight. But right at the beginning, Paul says, be strong. Be strong how? Right? He's, not, he's not talking about exercise. He's not saying we all should have brought our protein powder this morning. He's saying he wants us to be strong in the Lord, in the strength of his might. So so where does this strength come from? It comes from the strength of of God's might, the strength of his might. So listen, you cannot do any of the things in this passage in your own strength or look back. Husbands, wives, children, parents. You cannot have the kind of marriage or have the kind of relationship with your kid in your own might. Right? If you try to do these things in your own strength, you will fail. Now, I know that at least some of you are out there thinking, don't tell me what I can't do. Right? Challenge accepted. Like, I'll do it. I'll do it this week. Watch. Whenever... Jen leaves the house to like go hang out with friends or like go on a trip. Like as a dad, I take that as a challenge. Like it's a game and I am going to win parenting. (laughs) She's going to come home and she's going to be like, how was it? And our kids are going to say, it was amazing. We had so much fun. We did all these things. But I can tell you one thing. Number one, I often don't actually sustain that over the time that she's gone, even then. But even when I do, there's no way I could sustain it for any longer. Right? Maybe in the short term, you could do it. But even if you could, what would happen is that you would begin to think about how great you are, that you were able to do that over a short run, and then you're not living in the way the book tells you to live. We can't do it in our own strength. I don't care how strong you think you are or how strong I think I am. We can't do it. But the good news is God knows that. And that's why he told Paul to tell us to be strong in the strength of his might and not to be strong in the strength of our might. We don't have any might. God is strong enough. He's, he's the Almighty. Like He's got more than enough to go around. So, so be strong in him. Find your strength in him. So how, Paul? Like how, do we, how do we be strong in the Lord? Well, look at verse 11. He says, put on the whole armor of God. Again, whose armor do we put on? You see a pattern here? God's armor, it's his strength, it's his armor. We put it on. This is absolutely something for us to do. Earlier in Ephesians, we saw him say that the old self has been put off, the new self has been put on. Jesus did that for us. But now we need to take up the armor that we've been given because our armor is not sufficient, right? It's, it's, it's weak, but we've been given an upgrade. We've been given the armor of God. And like, this is a command for us to follow. 
So God is telling Paul to tell us to be strong in in the strength of the Lord and in the power of his might to put on his armor. We have to be strong. We have to have armor. Why? What what for? What What does he want us to do with this strength? He says that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So God wants us geared up, powered up so that we can do something, so that we can stand against the schemes of the devil. Why? Why why does he want us to be able to stand against the devil? Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So Paul's point here is that our fight is not with people. It's not with other human beings. And so when you fight with your spouse, your spouse is not the enemy. Parents, when you argue with your kids, your kids are not the enemy. Uh, Kids and, and teenagers, when you argue with your parents, your parents aren't the enemy. Teachers, your students, your administrators, they're not the enemy, right? People like our, our neighbors, the, the people that drive either too fast or too slow on the road, like they are not our enemies. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Memorize that. Write that down. Look at it when you're in the midst of a conflict with someone and remind yourself that you don't wrestle against flesh and blood. They are not your enemy. Who is the enemy? The rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Paul's point is that there is this cosmic spiritual battle raging around us as we seek to live the life that God calls us to. And in order to live life in the midst of that, we need God's strength and we need to be clothed in his armor so that we can stand against the schemes of the devil. But check this out. Remember that that sit, walk, stand progression through Ephesians? So let's talk about the sit part before we talk about the the stand part. There are two places in Ephesians where, where this matters. The first one is Ephesians 1. So I'm going to read verses 15 through 23 of Ephesians 1. Paul says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of God in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Okay, so Paul here in Ephesians 1, is telling the Ephesians that he he gives thanks for them and and he prays for them. And in verse 19, he says that one of the things that he prays for them, uh, that that he he wants believers to know, is that God would give us wisdom, he'd give us knowledge, he'd enlighten the eyes of our hearts, uh, so that we would know the immeasurable greatness uh, of his power toward us who believe. So he says, according to the working of his great might. This is the, the great might that we're supposed to be strong in. Uh, it's what raised Jesus from the dead. And it seated, he seated Jesus 
uh, at his right hand in the heavenly places. So God, with his great power, with his great might, he raised Jesus from the dead. He seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Verse 21, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet. So first of all, this list sounds a little like that list in in chapter 6 that Paul gave us, right? We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against these things. And let me ask you this. When, when, When Paul says that God put all things under his feet, do you think that includes rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, spiritual forces of evil, the devil, Yeah, all things means all things. All things are under his feet. Next, Ephesians 2. It's a a really familiar passage. I'm not going to read the whole thing. We're going to start in verse 4. So we were dead in our sin, Paul says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So God, because of his grace, because he's rich in mercy, he, he made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. Those are past tense. He, he made us alive. He raised us up with him. He seated us with him. That's part of the spiritual reality of our salvation in Jesus. So in Ephesians 1, God God raised Jesus from the dead. He seated him in the heavenly places. He put all things under his feet. And then Ephesians 2, he, because of his grace, raised us up and seated us with him in the heavenly places. Okay, so why does this matter? This matters because when we stand against the schemes of the devil, when we're strong in, in the power of God and the might of God, when we put on the armor of God and stand against the devil's schemes, we do it from a place where we are seated with Jesus, who has all of these things under his feet. We don't stand from a place of weakness. We stand from a place of strength. We're seated with Jesus, and then we stand against the devil's schemes. Verse 13, therefore, recognizing that we have this strength from God, recognizing that that we have his armor, that it's his might, that we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, uh, but against rulers and authorities and powers of darkness. Because of this, we must take up the whole armor of God. Why? Paul says, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, like it's, it's going to be a fight to stand firm. And then he's going to start listing all this armor that we get to put on. First, let's recognize that just because Jesus is an authority over all these things, just because they're under his feet, it doesn't mean that the fight just goes away. Right? Parents, you are an authority over your children. Does that mean that they always do exactly what you say? No, right? Also, this is one of the places where, where, we, where we feel, where we see the difference between the, the objective realities of our salvation and the subjective experience of it. That's a, those are big words we don't normally use, and so I'm going to explain them. Right now, outside, uh, it's like, 
35 degrees? Does it feel warm or cold outside? Feels kind of warm, right? But if we were to travel back in time to like a month and a half ago, and it was 35, and I was to say, does it feel warm or cold outside? We would say it feels cold, right? I can't take this. The objective reality is that it's 35 degrees. But our subjective experience of it changes based on whether it's been, you know, like incredibly cold outside or whether it's been like, you know, in the 70s. And sometimes in some areas of our life, we experience great freedom over sin. Right? We don't need any convincing that Jesus has freed us from its power because we're, we're living it out. We're, we're walking it out. We're seeing it happen. In other times, or in other areas, maybe feel like we'll, we'll never be able, like we have no power at all over our sin. Like that's the nature of living in this already not yet world, this world in which we are seated with Jesus in the heavenly places. And yet we still need to walk out our salvation in a manner worthy of our calling. We still need to stand against the schemes of the devil. Like there's, there's these objective realities that are true of us that we need to live out in the midst of our life. Right? It's, it's us becoming in practice who we already are in Jesus. Hebrews says we've been perfected already by his sacrifice, and yet we're, we're being sanctified. We're in process. And so we walk by faith in Jesus, grasping hold of those truths while, while living them out in the present. Okay, how do we stand with God's armor? First, there's the belt of truth. Truth in Ephesians is, is almost always linked with the truth of the gospel, truth about who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And so if we are going to stand firm, we need the truth of the gospel kind of wrapped all around us. Like if you think about it, like in, in some ways a belt doesn't really make sense as armor because it's not, it's not protective. But really the belt is kind of what, what holds all the armor together. It allows the armor to function. It, it holds the sword to the soldier uh, it's it's a, a foundational piece of the armor. And, and the truth of the gospel is that for believers. Next is the breastplate of righteousness. Like it's, it's protecting our vital organs. And we shouldn't confuse righteousness here, right? This is, this is God's armor that he's given to us. So this is not our righteousness. This is his righteousness. This is Christ's righteousness. Next, we get the shoes that are the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Shoes here are not like tennis shoes. They're like military shoes. And it's interesting that these are described as uh, put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In Isaiah, and then, then later when Paul quotes it in Romans, uh, he talks about the, the, the beauty of the feet of, of those who, who spread the gospel and, and, and publish peace. And the focus is on those who kind of like rush out to, to declare this good news message of peace. But here, it's not a peaceful situation, right? These people aren't, aren't rushing. Like, it's not like we're rushing into battle. We're, we're standing in a, in a defensive position. Like, there, there's no rushing out to, to declare these truths, and there's this battle kind of raging around. So the question then is, is who are we proclaiming good news to? Who are we, we getting ready to, to promote a message of peace? Well, I think it's to ourselves. I think it's to, to, our, to our, our fellow believers in the fight. It's like those who are in the trenches with us. Let me give you an illustration to help you see this. 
So let's picture, uh, this might be really difficult for you to picture, I don't know, but let's picture a husband and a wife who are having an argument. And it doesn't really matter why they're fighting, but, but things are heated. And then one of them says, hey, I realize we're both angry. I realize we disagree. But let's not forget that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. I'm not your enemy. You're not my enemy. Jesus gave us authority to to stand against the schemes of the devil. Let's not fall into this trap. Let's not fight each other. Let's fight this temptation together. Let's remember that Jesus is for us. We are seated with him. And together we can stand against the enemy. Now, I don't think that that's going to make every marital disagreement just kind of evaporate into thin air. But I do think it would change the tone of the conversation. I think in the midst of a fight where you feel like that other person is the enemy, bringing up the truth of of who we are, of who God is, of what Jesus has done for us, and how we should relate to one another will absolutely change the tone of that conversation. It will bring peace in the midst of conflict in a way that we are supposed to as believers. And so we should be ready in the midst of our fight of faith to preach the good news uh, to ourselves and to those around us in the fight. Next, in verse 16, Paul says that in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. And, And listen to this next part. With which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. All the flaming darts. Not just some of them, all of them. What is it that protects us from from our enemy and his attacks? Not not good theology, not strong will, not discipline, not podcasts, not books, not sermons. All of those things are good. All of those things are beneficial. But what Paul says we can use in this fight to extinguish all the attacks of the enemy is faith. Trust in Jesus. We can't forget that the primary thing we are called to do as believers is trust in Jesus. Which makes sense. If we're not trusting in Jesus, how in the world are we going to have a protection from the enemy? Without faith, we won't rely on God's strength. We'll, We'll try to do it on our own and we'll fail. Without faith, we won't put on his armor. We'll come up with our own sources of protection and we'll fail. Without faith, we won't stand from our seated position with Jesus. We'll rely on our own ability to fight and we'll fail. Without faith, we won't gird ourselves with the truth of the gospel. We'll try to hold everything together on our own and we'll fail. Without faith, we won't depend on Christ's righteousness to protect us in the battle. We'll try to come up with a righteousness of our own and we'll fail. And without faith, we won't preach the gospel to ourselves. We'll look for peace somewhere else and we'll fail. In all circumstance, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. All of them. Verse 17, take up the helmet of salvation. Protect your brain with the reality of what God has done for you in Jesus. 
and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, right? You, you want to get geared up to stand firm against the enemy? Be saturated with the word of God, right? It's the only way we know about who he is and what he's done for us and, and, and about our armor and about the enemy and about who we are. Like it is what informs us about this fight we are in the midst of. And we get to verse 18. This is the next thing Paul wants us to do in this passage. He wants us to to be strong in the strength of the Lord. He wants us to put on God's armor. And then he wants us to pray. A major part of our fight in this spiritual battle that's that's, that's raging is is prayer. And he, he tells us how he wants us to pray. He says, first, he wants us to pray at all times. At all times. I don't think Paul literally means every moment of every day. Number one, because he knows that that's impossible. And number two, he took time to write this letter. So he wasn't praying then. But I think he means in all circumstances. And I think we should hear this as more than we do. Probably. Like maybe you're amazing at prayer. I don't know. But if it's not almost all the time, there's room for growth. I think that a diagnostic question for us about our prayer life and obedience to this command is, am I in the midst of a circumstance? If the answer is yes, then pray, right? Could I pray in this moment? Okay, pray, done. Uh, and, And don't feel like all of your prayers have to be winners, right? Not every prayer we pray is going to be like this robust theological masterpiece that that goes for minutes and minutes and minutes. Like throwing up a a two or three word prayer in the midst of a stressful situation is a million percent better than not praying at all. And I would argue that more of those short prayers will lead to more of those longer prayers. Just pray. Second, Paul wants us to pray in the power of the Spirit. Just like everything else in this passage, we don't even pray in our own strength. We pray in the power of the Spirit. He enables us. He empowers us to pray as we should. And so ask the Spirit to to help you pray, to to guide you, to empower you as you're praying. Third, Paul wants us to to pray by, by keeping alert with all perseverance. So we should pray like watchful prayers, prayers that are, that are alert for the attacks of the enemy. And I think he's, he's encouraging us to pray in a way that we, we pray for ourselves and we pray for other people, keeping those things in mind, that the enemy is prowling around us like a lion, praying that we would see sin, that we would confess sin, that we wouldn't hide sin, that we would fight temptation, that we would fight the enemy and fight our flesh that we would say no to sin and yes to God. And we keep praying, keeping alert with, with all perseverance. This isn't like a one-time prayer, right? You can't just pray this one time and be like, okay, I'm good. Something we, we persevere in prayer. And I think that's important because I think sometimes when we're struggling with sin, we pray something along the lines of, God, help me fight this sin. And then we give him about three seconds And then we're like, well, I guess I had no choice but to give in. He didn't help me. He didn't deliver me. We pray, keeping alert with all perseverance. Keep praying. Don't give in. Don't give up. Right? That's not what we're called to do. We're called to press on, to keep alert with all perseverance. Fourth, he wants us to pray, making supplication for all the saints. So, pray for yourself. And pray for other people. 
Pray for the people that are, that are part of your church family. Pray for the people that you're in relationship with, right? Think about your own life. Don't you need help from Jesus? Right? Don't you need strength from God? Don't you need help from the Spirit to go about your daily life? Well, so does everybody else around you. So pray for them, right? Ask God to do for them what you would want him to do for you, right? Make supplication on their behalf. If you don't know what or how to pray for someone else, two things. First, as I already said, just pray for them what you would want them to pray for you. And second, we have these things now called phones. You can call someone if you're a weirdo. I'm just kidding. Phone calls are fine. You can call, you can text, you can send an email, you can do all kinds of things to communicate with another person and say, how can I pray for you? And then pray for them. But only do that if you actually mean it. A lot of times Christians use prayer as a weapon. Not that long ago, I was having a conversation with a lost person, and uh, they said that there was this, this person in their family who kept sending them, like, praying hands, like, in arguments, like, as like a, a gotcha. And they were like, why do Christians do that? And I was like, I don't think they do. And if they do, they shouldn't. Right? If we're going to pray for people, it should be because we want their good. And if we don't want their good, we should pray for ourselves. Last, Paul tells the Ephesians to, to pray for him, that he'd be given words to speak, that he would, he would boldly proclaim the gospel as he should. Paul is dead, so you can't pray for him. We don't have to do this part. But you can pray for yourself. You can pray for, for leaders you know. You can pray for people in ministry you know. You can absolutely pray this thing for, for the elders and deacons and MC leaders at BC. We would love it if you would pray this for us. Pray for yourself. Pray for the people around you. And pray for leaders in your life. Paul closes out this letter by, by letting the Ephesians know that, that Tychicus, his, his kind of fellow worker, his beloved brother, he's going to come and he's going to tell them everything. He's going to probably deliver the letter and he's also going to give them kind of all those other things that we wish we knew about but don't, uh, telling them about how Paul is, about what's going on with him, about how prison is. Um, but he, he's there to, to encourage and build up the church. And Paul closes the letter out with this, this short kind of benediction. Uh, he pronounces peace, uh, and, and love from, with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, and that grace would be with all those who love Jesus with love incorruptible. And it's my hope that, that as we've gone through this letter, that that's what it has done for you. That it's, it's produced peace in you, in your relationship with God, in your relationship with Jesus, in your relationship with, with those around you. That it's, that it's fostered love for Christ and what he's done for you, that it's fostered love for your fellow believers in that you have experienced and felt more of the grace of God as we have heard page after page, verse after verse about all the grace that we have been shown in Jesus. And so it's my hope that, that not just this week, but, but moving forward in our lives, we would remember that we are seated with Jesus in the heavenly places because we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing, and from that place that we would stand against the attacks of the enemy, 
Not in our own strength, not in our own power, but, but with the strength of God. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you sent your spirit to inspire Paul to, to write this letter to the church at Ephesus. And that you protected that letter, that, that Tychicus delivered it, that it got preserved, that it got saved, and that you know thousands of years later, we are able to read it and benefit from it together. And so we pray that your spirit would, would drive the truth of this letter deep into us. That we wouldn't shake it off, that we wouldn't forget it, that we wouldn't uh, be distracted by other things. But that we would remember what Paul has taught us about what you've done for us in Christ. That we would remember that, that we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but that there is a spiritual battle raging around us and that we can't do it on our own. We can't fight on our own. We need your strength. We need your armor. We pray that that would cause us to pray more and that in all circumstances, the shield of faith would protect us from every attack of the enemy. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen.